The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, just a reminder, if you're interested in playing in the Bench with Bubba Listener League 15-team Roto on fan tracks, make sure to give a rating and review on iTunes. We much appreciate it, and it's just give me proof of that. Or if you just want to give a rating and review, I'd really, really appreciate it. It would help out the podcast out a ton. Also, go check out the Fantasy Black Book. Great way to get ready for your fantasy baseball season. Myself, Joe P. Sapia, Chris Welsh, Ariel Cohen, who is on this show, uh, Alex Chamberlain, Matt Modica, Nate Dawkin, Eric Cross, Paul Spohr, and much, much more covering all the positions, strategies, prospects, so much more. The 10th edition of the Fantasy Black Book. Go get it on Amazon, iTunes. Uh, you don't want to miss it for your fantasy draft prep. It's it's just absolutely awesome. Also, if you could uh, check out Rotoballer, doing a lot of new work over there at rotoballer.com, uh, put, you know, player outlooks, articles, tons of cool stuff there, fantasy sports DJs, tons of great stuff to find the content for the Bench with Bubba crowd. But more importantly, enjoy today's episode, Bench with Bubba, episode 240. Ariel Cohen talking ATC projections and a lot of fantasy auction strategy. It's great stuff. Hope you enjoy it. everybody to another episode of bench with bubba episode 240 got a special guest first timer on bench with bubba today talk some fancy baseball his personal or his projection system auction strategies and much much more you can find him on twitter at atcny ariel cohen how we doing man very good thank you so much for having me on the show yeah thanks for joining me it's uh, it's fun getting to to know you through twitter and other avenues and getting to finally chat with you is uh, gonna be a fun time looking forward to it and I just uh, found out that the KC does not mm-hmm. stand for Kansas City. No, it does not. Yeah, we, uh, it, it's a fun little little joke that some people are in love with that, that really think it, it, it's true. But no, it's a little town in California. So no, totally different. All right. Yep, sneak sneaky on people like that. Um, before we get going, why don't you uh, let everybody know where you got your like, where you're writing next? You're writing in a lot of places and other things like that. Yeah, well, you can uh, find my work uh, on Fangraphs, on uh, CBS Sports and Sportsline. Uh, The ATC projections can actually be found on both sites, which is kind of cool this year. Um, You can listen to my podcast, which is the uh, Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational Beat the Shift podcast, TGFBI. Um, I do that once a week with uh, Ruven Guy, so you can listen to that show as well. And uh, you mentioned my Twitter handle, ATCNY. That's where the NY actually does stand for New York, where I'm from. <laughs> perfect, perfect. I love it. And uh, I heard you have a, a fun little ge- a fun guest coming up this week on your show. So I hope you, I hope you can, I hope you can handle Toby this week. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, we're looking, we're looking forward to that. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. But uh, let's get into some recent news. Nick Castellanos signs a four-year deal 
with the Cincinnati Reds to most likely play left field for them, projected about fifth according to roster resource. We've all been wanting Castellanos outside of Comerica Park for a long time. Um, things can be really, really great here if, if everything looks, you know, turns out properly. What's your kind of expectation on Nick Castellanos in Cincinnati? Well, for, for Nick Castellanos, uh, I mean, that's definitely one of the best places he can uh, actually end up uh, in the, the Reds, Great American Ballpark, fantastic park. So for his uh, fantasy relevance, um, that's a big plus. Um, before today, he was going pretty low, I thought, in drafts. Uh, that, that ADP is going to shoot up after this one, uh, and rightfully so. Yeah, no doubt about it. He's going about pick 118. He's up. Uh, I'd project. I think he goes into the 80s. Where, if you had to guess, come March, where do you think he'd roughly go? I'm hoping as low as he can. Um, yeah, it's just maybe a little bit higher, even. You know. Yeah, possibly. Quite possibly. Um, when you when you look at the Cincinnati Reds, they have a slew of outfielders now. They already signed Shogi Akiyama this year, and, and he should be playing center field, but he might shift around to other outfield spots. Obviously, Castellanos is going to be out there, but you have Aristis Aquino, the Punisher, who he jumped onto the scene with a lot of power, then kind of slowed down in September. They still have Nick Senzel battling back from an injury. Josh Van Meter, Jesse Winker. It's a very crowded outfield there. All of them have options to go to the minors. If you had to kind of – I know we have a long ways to go, and spring training got to dictate a lot. But for people doing early drafts and everything, how would you approach the third outfielder in Cincinnati? Um, I mean, uh, news came out today. I think that Suarez might have some surgery or just had surgery. Yeah. Um, and uh, Senzel, maybe he, there's, we're still worrying about his injury. I'm thinking the Reds did this to um, make sure that they have some good quality all over the place. That's why they got Castellanos. So because of that, it tells me that maybe they're worried about Senzel's injury. So if I'm playing fantasy, I'm a little bit wary about his playing time. Um, now, Senzel and Aquino might be uh, – they do have options. I can see a scenario where they do hold them back, uh, hold them back down, let Winker play it out, um, let Irvin and you know handle center field for now. Uh, it, it's, it's a dicey situation right now. I, it, you know, I, I don't do a lot of drafts before spring training starts. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of like to see where that's going and, and like to see where everybody's headed. But if I had to bet, I would probably just take off a Kino a month off of his, uh, of his plate appearances, Senzel, ding him a little bit. Cause he worries me. Uh, that's probably how I would handle that situation. Okay. Yeah, I, I like that. I think, I think they want to find ways for Senzel to play, but obviously his injury is going to be very important there. Uh, Winker is a great OBP machine, but just seems like he can't find a fit there. So definitely something to keep an eye on. And I'm with you. I, I do very few drafts before spring training. I like to kind of see the guys playing, see how they're doing, so on and so forth. So you don't get like freak injuries like, hey, Eugenio Suarez injures his shoulder in the swimming pool and now has to have sh- uh, surgery on it. So fun things like that. You think they 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 made the uh, the deal with Castellanos after they knew about the swimming pool deal? It would make more sense now, yes, because at first it yeah. almost felt like they were just getting as many hitters as they could, and they'd figure it out later. But for that news to drop about twenty four hours later, it makes you at least yeah. kind of look at it a little bit. Because otherwise, it either tells you that they're working on a trade with Senzel, or they've given up on Senzel, or they don't know what they have with Winker. You know, it just yeah. it, it, it it just makes me a little bit wary about what their thoughts are on their their own players. Uh, yeah, there's a like you just said, there's tons of questions there. Like, there's a lot of ways to go about it. So it'll be interesting to see how it all irons out once we kind of see them play and yeah. get a better feel for the situation. Uh, let's go to Arizona, the D-backs. They made a big trade, acquired Starling Marte for two prospects, two prospects that are going to be a little ways away. They're in a A-ball right now. So it's going to be a little while until we see them. So we'll focus on Starling Marte here, who looks to probably lead off or hit towards the top of the order for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, what's your kind of thoughts on Marte? I've seen a lot of mixed reviews on him on Twitter these days. Um, you know, Marte is, is a guy who's far better in fantasy than he is in real life, especially in rotisserie leagues with the stolen bases. He's really not all that fantastic. Um, I, you know, I, I was debating with a bunch of Mets fans, you know, who the Mets, uh, the Mets obviously were, were 
one of the guys who are suspected to be trading for Marte. And my my uh, contention was that he's not that big an upgrade over Brandon Nimmo. Um, I mean, Brandon Nimmo has like a, a 130 WRC+. Plus. Um, Starling Marte's WRC plus lifetime is 116. He's only 16% better than the average hitter. Um, so in real life baseball, he's really not all that good. Now, for the money, um, in terms of, you know, the cost – I know what he's making this year. I know he has an option for $12.5 million next year. And he's definitely a bargain uh, for them to have on the team and the prospect that they traded for are a little bit far away. So, um, you know, I think it's a good deal for them. As far as what he, he's going to do, uh, definitely he, uh, the park and the lineup is a heck of a lot better than Pittsburgh. I mean, uh, you know, you have Kettle Marte, Calhoun, Peralta, Escobar. And what do you have in Pittsburgh? You got Josh Bell, uh, Brian, uh, you got Newman, Kevin Newman. Uh, you know, um, so just from that alone, it's going to help his run production. Uh, the Diamondbacks like to steal. So that's going to keep his stolen bases up. It'll keep his power up, the fact that he's going to a better ballpark. I personally did not really believe fully in his power. I I don't think that the 20-plus homers that he could hit is 100% real, but – with if the ball stays the same this year, if the juice ball continues, and the fact that he's now in a much better park, I think he can do that. So his fantasy value improves 100% by going to this new team. I think you do have to worry about those Pittsburgh Pirates who now don't have Marte in the lineup. We're talking about Bell, Tomat Newman, Reynolds. Uh, those are the guys, actually, that probably suffer more negatively than Marte gains, if anything else, I would say. And that's a great point. Uh, I was talking with someone earlier today about that, that Josh Bell, who I was kind of wary about already this season, it's a massive blow to him and, and the rest of the production there. So I like that that call quite a bit there on the yeah. Pittsburgh side of things. Um, when talking about Arizona, you know, you got Starling Marte. He's the in the online draft since January 1st. He's going uh, pick 34, the 11th outfielder off the board. Um, one reason why he goes so high is you, you hit on it because of the stolen bases. Would you take him over a guy like Austin Meadows with this move to, to Arizona? Yeah, I really haven't thought about it too much because uh, I, I I don't I don't draft uh, in terms of uh, one guy over another. You know, to That's me, true. if there's somebody available that fits my uh, my roster needs, you know, I go for that player. Mm-hmm. Um, I was never a big Marte fan. I. I I mean, he had a great year last year, so it's hard for me to say that, uh, you know, he he isn't worth the value. But I, I hate taking a guy like that uh, way too early. Uh, and he might even, because of this trade, he might actually be propped up even earlier. I think Meadows is going way too early also. I think that at the value that Meadows is being drafted at, uh, um, he, there's not much room for upside. He's fantastic. Don't, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just don't like those types of players because I don't see the upside in terms of profit. So uh, which is better? Uh, maybe Meadows. Uh, I, I don't fully believe in Marte, um, if I had to pick one. Okay. Um, their outfield right now consists of Marte, Peralta, Calhoun, like you mentioned. Um, you know, Alex Chamberlain and others have been big Josh Rojas fans. I haven't dug in a ton on Josh Rojas, but this pretty much sends him back to AAA. I'm thinking, do you find any – reason to even in your auction leaves to put like a dollar out for a Josh Rojas or is he purely a waiver wire guy now? I mean, in a draft and a hold where where you got to draft the whole season, uh, he's a guy that, you know, if the Diamondbacks are in there to close, you'll see him later in the season. But in, in most redraft leagues that have a short, limited bench or aren't that deep, I can't see a reason to actually put something in. You'll be holding him for, for half a season. Uh, I, I don't like picking up players that, that you have to hold for a long amount of time. I like using my bench to stream. So, no, I, I would say he's not worth the dollar, and I would say he's not worth the bench spot either. I, I like that call a lot. That's something that we talked about on a recent podcast, that the bench needs to be used to churn and burn, to take advantage of waiver wire, uh, guys that, that, that heat up on the on the, the waiver wire or something like that to, to help your roster out now, not hoping for the future. So yeah. I, I think that's a great point there. Uh, Brandon Kinsler, the Miami Marlins, they went and signed Kinsler, a former closer for the Twins. He's kind of been a, a late-inning reliever for the Nationals and a few other the Cubs last year. Comes to Miami. They didn't have a closer to begin with. He's going to get a chance to close there. If he does well, he'll probably get traded. But still, he's got his shot now going extremely late in drafts. Do you have any interest in a guy like Kinsler? Because some people just see the Marlins and say no. But he's the, he is going to be the closer most likely. Um, Are you sure about that? Uh, it's not going to be Stanek? It's between those two. 
Yeah, I mean, the Marlins don't really uh, get me up in the morning that I go rah, 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 no matter who's the uh, relief pitcher. Um, You're not going to get a a lot of saves. Uh, Kinsler is not, oh, my God, pitcher that you'll take him even without the saves. You're only getting him to get saves, and he's not going to give you that many. And I don't even know if he's the guy. I mean, he has two bad outings to start the season. He's done as the closer. Um, so, uh, sure. If, if, if he, he closes games and if he's the guy the first week, then a buck at the end, two bucks. Sure. Um, but other than that, I would not heavily invest in, in a guy like this. All right. Yeah, no, he's going extremely late. So I think a lot of people are in the same boat as you right now. Even drafts that have been completed since he's been signed. He's not really moving a ton. In ADP, so yeah, it'll it'll take a little bit, especially in spring training when you know you get the manager gives him his blessing or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it'll take a while. Uh, so uh, you know, if it, right now if you can get him as your last bench spot because the the ADP is not catching up, sure, and that that's probably a good pick to pick Kinsler and the last pick of your bench. Uh, that's definitely well worth it. No, that, that's a good point as well, and the good old manager blessing that always the, the vote of confidence. They're always very very good around baseball um let's talk about your projections the atc projections it's one of the most you know popular heralded look forward to two ones every year there's steamer there's atc there's the bat uh you you, you came out second you you beat the bat to the market so uh well, AT- I, I you know it's funny because i actually spoke with Derek cardi and and uh you know we try to coordinate so that we don't all come out in the same week um mm-hmm. uh, and and i was hoping he would come out a little bit earlier so he was a little bit later this year so i actually flipped and, and I, I took the early come out uh i, I beat him but uh now we, we coordinated actually about that oh nice that's good to know it makes yeah. sense actually that makes sense not to do it all at once everybody kind of soak them in you know, we had Steamer for a few weeks. Now we got ATC, and it's it's good to, to kind of mix and match and, and use them all and find the niches out of each one that we like quite a bit. Um, uh-huh. I'm not going to go into all the, the the how you gain the projections, but I like to, if I can, ask you certain, like, um, one question that I get with Steamer a lot is, and I hear, like, Rob Silver and other guys talk about it, is that they don't know how to, to predict playing time. How is it? Because you actually are way more fine tuned into playing time with your ATC projections. Yeah. How do you go about that? Is that something that you, you're able to kind of give us a little clue on? Yeah, well, you know, it probably does help if I actually explain to you how ATC works. There you um, go. Yeah, because... Start from the top. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, ATC stands for average total cost the average total cost projections because in essence i actually base my projections on other projections steamer included in in that uh in the equation here atc also is my initial so it all works out well um but uh, it's an aggregation in fact it's a smart aggregation most people who who say let's take a couple projections and average them they give equal weight they say take a third of this a third of that a third of another projection system but the truth is that that makes little sense or I mean, it makes some sense, but it's not as smart as if you know which statistics work better. I mean, while another projection system might be better for stolen bases and another might be better for uh, for pitcher wins. Um, so it behooves you to take more weight from the projections that do a better job with certain statistics than the others. Uh, And that's what I do. I study before anything, I study them going back a couple of years, which projections have, uh, you know, more correlation with what actually uh, has happened, uh, which is more predictive. And I know how to weight each of them to have a a, a minimum bias to, to have the highest correlation regression, whatever you want to call it. Um, It's very similar to what Nate Silver does when he, he does the presidential uh, nominate uh, elections um, when he's tracking polls and he's looking at, you know, uh, what, what's going on with, uh, uh, I don't know, the Democratic primaries. Um, you know, he's going to look at each state now in certain states, you know, let's say uh, Quinnipiac, they do better in the, the Northeast. I'm making this totally up. Let's say uh, YouGov does better than them in the Southeast. So for Northeastern states, he would not take the just a, a 
exact half-half. He would take more of Quinnipiac if they do better. So it, it's very, very similar in terms of methodology. Now, on to your original question about the playing time. I do this the same way. Uh, I have a bunch of different sources of playing time, and I know which ones work better. But more importantly, I know how they fit in a regression equation better. I know if I take X percent of this and Y percent of that and Z percent of this, I actually get a much better predictor than taking any one of them by themselves. And it's exactly what I do with playing time. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that that is pretty much how it works. And uh, it is far more accurate than just using Steamer alone. I can tell you that. No, I, I definitely agree with that. That's why I like looking forward to your Steamers. It's good. It gives you a good reference point, gives you an idea. I, I enjoy when your ATC projection is close to steamers because at least you guys are almost in the same ballpark that things are correlating the same way but at the same time yeah like the the thing i like the most about yours is the playing time thing because then it gives us an even closer idea of what to really expect and And you know that's very big you know, you mentioned ATC being close to steamer, and sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. I mm-hmm. love it when ATC is close to all of its underlying projections. Like for some players, uh, you get a very similar projection uh, no matter what projection system you use. I call those that player a low-variance player because there's not mm-hmm. much differentiation between projections. Those are super safe in my opinion because if, if all the projections say, yep, he's going to hit 25 homers, yep, he's going to hit 25 homers – I'm pretty confident that I think I can peg him for 25 homers. There are some players that I call high variants where they're all over the place. Like Garrett Hampson, you know, one projection system has 40 stolen bases. One projection system has 15 stolen bases and everywhere in the middle. I'm less confident about a guy like Garrett Hampson than a low variance guy that I'm more certain of. So that's another way that I personally use ATC projections. It lets me check out the variance or the risk of certain players uh, in, in terms of how they're even projected. I like that a lot. That's a great, that's a great point. I even thought about looking into because like I said, I, I like when they're really close together. It makes me feel like we're onto something pretty strong here. And it, it is in theory, like what you're saying, it's a very safe, uh, low variance player. So that's a, that's an interesting way to look at it. So yeah. in theory, say you're playing an NFBC overall, would you almost kind of sometimes I want that higher variance guy. And I'm gonna look at these projections where they vary and maybe the ATC one projects them for 40 home runs where steamer projects them for say 28 in the overall, I want to take this guy for 40 home runs compared to say, I'm just in like my 12 team league. I'm going to play a little safer type thing. Um, I, I, I never want to say, let's take a high variance guy just for the sake of taking him. Um, okay. I think that when you, you look at a high variance guy, that average that ATC comes out, that better be much higher than the ADP for me to take that high variance guy. You know, I, I don't want, if the ADP is closer to the upside of the guy, to the highest projection, I don't want any part of that guy. Um, okay. You know, so I, I don't look at it in terms of, you know, hey, I got to go for it. I want to gain something. I'm fine with taking zero risk players as long as I can gain profit on each of them. Like if I get a three-round profit on uh, on half my players and a two-round profit on half my players, they could be the super safest guys. And in fact, I prefer that. I mean, the whole idea about about uh, succeeding is you want the highest value subject to the lowest risk. So uh, the lower risk players, that uh, they, they appeal to me much more than the higher risk players. I need a much bigger return on the higher risk players. I need the ADP to be much lower than my average for the high risk. Uh, so I see it that way. I, I don't see it as a, an upside downside play. I see it as an expected profit play. I like how you explain that. You, yeah, that makes makes a lot more sense. That's one thing I like to, to tweet out when I'm looking at stats and, and projections and everything. And I look at it, it's like, oh, it's, look, he's a boring guy, but he does this year in and year out. Why would you not enjoy him at this price point? So it's kind of the I same. Mean, p- yeah. Thing. If you know a guy is going to do the same thing every year, now he mm-hmm. might not be sexy. He might not yep. gain win you your league. He might not jump up and become uh, an oh my god superstar. But that's okay. You need enough value with your whole draft, and then of course you'll find the guys on the waiver wire. You'll get your one dollar mm-hmm. picks that jump up. But the rest of your guys, you need guys to stabilize your value. So um, boring is boring is good. And if that yes. makes me if that makes me boring, so be it. I'm good with just winning my league, and you can call me boring. 
Yeah, I'm 100 percent with you. It's a good way to we need to get RotoWare to make a T-shirt. If boring is good, I like I want to be good. So that's a, <laughs> that's a good one there. Um, you mentioned the game profit. I know people like to use like former stats or three year average stats or projection sites, or whatever to create a monetary value. Can uh, for for either their draft for ADP wise or for auctions. When you're using the ATC projection, do you go the same route as these guys would, or do you ha- like do something special? It's like when you're uh, trying to con- to convert value like ratings. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, just before I answer that, you mentioned uh, people use three year three year uh, values and stuff. Actually, part of ATC is three year history, so the last three years okay. of data is actually included in ATC. Um, but no, I, I I do even if I'm drafting, I create auction values for every player. I think that yeah. just a ranking is doesn't tell you anything. The fact that one guy is 10th on your list versus 11th on your list doesn't tell you anything. But if I tell you he's a $10 player versus a $5 player, that is a bigger thing. Um, and I do a whole thing called replacement level drafting that I don't want to get into right now. But it, it, you really need to know the value in dollars of each player. Um, in terms of what I do, uh, there's a lot of different methods. People use uh, st- standing gain points, SGPs, um, Z-score. Uh, I happen to use the Z the Z score method. Um, I tilt it a little bit um, because uh, you know if if like for example stolen bases happen to be a lot more variable last year than uh, what the projections for next year say. So I tilt the variance. I you know, stolen bases will be a little bit more variable to encompass what I think the true variance is going to be. But basically, it's it, it's I modify some of the parameters with. Uh, uh, with z-score uh, but that's that's what i use and, and uh for those who don't know what i'm talking about in terms of z-score is um you know when when you're deciding what uh, to put a, a hard dollar on a player in rotisserie the question is how do you know what each category is worth what is homer's worth what is rbi's what is stolen bases worth um you have to crunch them all into one category and the question is how to do that so the z-score method says take each category and convert each each statistic into a standard score so compare it to the standard deviation are you one standard deviation above the average are you two standard deviations you get a so uh i don't know pick uh d gordon d gordon for power is going to be a minus two and a half percent standard deviations for homers for rbis will be a minus three standard deviations for stolen bases will be a plus three um, and so you get a, a hard number per category, and then you can just add them all because they're all mm-hmm. just variances. You just add them all, and and then you uh, scale to two hundred and sixty dollars. Uh, so it, it's a way to compress it, and uh, I like Z-score. No, I like that a lot. I, I, I like asking people their different methods because everyone's got their kind of way of doing it. But I, I like the dollar values make a lot more sense to me. So when, when you started mentioning your dollar value system, I was curious to see what you were using in that scenario. Um, when it comes to ATC, forgive me for asking this, but how many years now have you been doing this? So they've been on fan graphs for the last four years, I'm going to say. Uh, I started doing them in 2011. I mean, I, when oh, wow. I started it, I, I, I started it just to win my own league, you know, and I, I you know, I just took a straight average the first year and, after that, I said, well, why am I taking a straight average? I better do some studying. And over the years, I've developed better weights. Wasn't ready for production time on fan graphs, but uh, slowly but surely, it was helping with me win, win my leagues. I had this one home league that I won like three years in a row. And if I didn't win, I finished in second place every year. And, uh, you know, and then I said, all right, better take it to the big boys. And I played in the NFBC in my first year. I won that. Uh, and I actually played against a couple guys from Fangraphs, uh, the Birchwood brothers. And, uh, yeah, we chatted about, about what I do. And, uh, they got me in touch with Eno Saris, who was working at Fangraphs at the time. And, uh, he loved it. And he got me in touch with David Appleman and, uh, yeah, he loved it too. And, uh, he went to Fangraphs, uh, I believe 2017. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. Eno, good old Eno. Um, forgive me again, if I've asked this one already, cause you explained nah, sure. a lot already. Um, but how would you recommend to say someone that's new to your your projection system, how would you recommend they use it to benefit them come draft day? 
Yeah, I mean, with with any projection system, I recommend the same thing, and and I recommend ATC because uh, it, it obviously it, it, it's aggregating everybody else's, and you're more sure uh, of of a player. Just as like I said before, you're more sure of a projection. You know, if if I don't know the bat, Derek Hardy of the bat is way out at a line, but you know, everyone else is in line. Well, you know, if you went by the bat, you might get a crazy projection. But if you use ATC, you get a much more robust set. Uh, but just like with everybody else's, you, you're going to use an auction calculator and do one of those methods we talked about, Z-score SGP, and convert it to to auction dollars. Uh, if you go on Fangraphs, they have a very handy auction calculator. Just go on the projections tab, hit auction calculator. You put in your league settings. I have, uh, you, you know, you got uh, 14 hitters and you put the positions in, so on and so forth. Um, and it spits out dollar values. Now, what you want to do is you want to compare it to the ADPs. Um, if you can get an ADP calculator to convert ADPs to dollars, now you got dollars to dollars. And it's very simple. You do a subtraction. If, if your guy is worth $16 and the ADP is telling you it's worth $12, well, that's a $4 bargain. And that means that's a good buy. If your ADP, if your number is, say, $24 and the ADP says $32, uh, that's a guy you should probably not buy unless people are smoking and uh, he goes really cheaper. Uh, so that, that's the general gist of, of how you should use projections and it gets you the baseline. Now, uh, what I say is never, never use anything blindly, not even ATC. And I don't do that either. Um, if you look at the projection of a player and you say, eh, that doesn't look right. I think he needs more playing time or that doesn't look right. I think he's going to be better than that in power or worse. Uh, change the projection. You you know, d- do it yourself. Uh, I do that too. When I draft, I don't use ATC blindly. I say, I don't believe this one. I'm going to ding him five homers or whatever I want to do. And then you run your auction calculator on, on that. And then you'll get dollars on what you think. So, you know, make it, make it your own, um, but use ATC as a base. Uh, it's just a good way to start. And, you know, if you don't have any adjustment or you can't think of a reason why, well, then you just use the projection straight up. I like that. I like that quite a bit. Um, how often preseason wise do you update the rankings? Like say when Nick Castellanos goes to the Reds, how 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 long should we wait to go, okay, this is the new rankings? Uh, I, I, I pretty much update it uh, January, February, once a week or so. I'll usually tweet out if I have any major updates. Um, as we get to March where there's playing time issues and stuff like that, uh, I do it probably twice a week or so. I mean, ATC is, I don't, you know, again, it's, it's pretty automatic. Uh, I don't say, well, you know, I think he's going to be better on the pot, on the uh, diamond back. So let's tweak it up. I don't do that. I wait for the projections to take. And if the underlying projections do their updating, well, I don't have to do anything other than just gather them all together. So sometimes it takes a little while in, in the early preseason, you know, I'll let it go. If I see that something's not being done and I, Hey, I have to draft tomorrow. Um, I'll, I'll do some adjustments. If I see that half the projections are taking into account an injury, let's say, but half the others aren't, I'll make that manual adjustment. I'll say, okay, I saw what the change was in, in the, the, the half the projections. I'll make the same change in the others and we'll call it even and we'll rerun it. So, um, I'll do that about twice a week in March, let's say. Okay. Um, let's talk a couple of players here. If, if you have some uh, out of curiosity, cause I have not gone through every player and I know you've probably checked a lot of them. Um, were there any, when you kind of ran them, I remember you, you've been tweeting out, you've been looking through like multiple runs and everything. Were there any hitters that stood out to you? Like, Whoa, this projection, it, it, like, this guy looks like he's in a much better year than we thought, or the opposite effect. Did anybody stand out to you like that? Um, yeah, uh, I would say that uh, Brian Anderson is a player that uh, he looks like he he's going to do better, especially with his batting average, than I, I thought. Um, and, you know, I guess it's because the underlying projections are saying so, or especially the ones who do average that I weight higher say so. Uh, Yuli Gurriel is another player who the projections are buying a lot of what he did last year. Um, I would say Miles Mikolas is another guy who uh, – looks like he'll have a nice bounce back according to projections uh, there's some other guys that I, I knew atc would say would be a bargain uh so i would say that they're undervalued but i wasn't surprised guys like carlos santana 
Eric Hosmer, who nobody likes, Starlin Casper, who nobody likes. Um, I, I was not surprised at all that ATC liked them, um, but they are. A bunch of overvalued guys, Jonathan VR. Um, I, I agree with that totally myself uh, before I even saw ATC do it. Uh, Aaron Nola, Lucas Giolito, two pitchers that ATC is a little bit down on compared to what you might see in ATC, uh, I, I might see in the market. Uh, Carlos Correa, Kettle Marte, think the market is pricing higher than ATC. Uh, guys like that. I like it. I like it, especially the uh, the Hosmer and Castro. When we're talking about boring, unsexy players, I have written articles on how boring and unsexy they are, and I still want to draft them at their prices because of I, what they do. If you think uh, if you think that's boring and you don't want to draft them, great. I mean that just d- yep. depresses ADP. And yep. uh, come to Mama, come to Dada. Yep, I love them. I love them a lot. Uh, before we we go to the auction discussion here. Any final thoughts, anything you'd like to leave the listeners with about ATC? Because I think it's a great, great product. You're doing awesome stuff with that, and it's fun having it in the marketplace now to kind of use it as another tool getting ready for draft season. Yeah, no, um, I, I think we covered most of it. Um, I, I recommend that, you know, again, I recommend that you use it as your base model, um, which, you know, if you're going to use Steamer, rest assured, Steamer is included in ATC. You know, it's not like I, I ignore that. Um, so, you know, you, you can uh, you can do that. Uh, it, now, if you want some uh, culpability for it in terms of uh, how accurate, uh, well, I ran my own study over the last two years. And and I, I did it a really weird way. I did it in a, in a game theory uh, kind of way. I basically said, all right, you know, ATC will take some players and Steamer will take some players and the bat will take some players. And let's see who accumulates the most fantasy value at the end of the year. And ATC won each of the last two years. Uh, but, of course, that's me and, you know, People can say, hey, you ran a biased, it's black box. Sure. Uh, <laughs> last year, Fantasy Pros uh, did an analysis on about 17 projections, uh, and ATC was ranked as the second most accurate system. Of course, the first most accurate system was their own. No surprises there, <laughs> but uh, I came out as the second. So uh, it's been accurate over the last couple of years. Uh, you should take a look at it. You know, Even if you don't want to use it, take a look at it and see if, if uh, it can help you. That's a heck of an accomplishment. Second out of 17, theirs is in first. So that's a, a pretty good accomplishment there for sure. Uh, let's talk auction dra- Let's talk auction draft strategy because it's I think it's a form, a, a form of drafting that's not discussed enough because I think a lot of people aren't comfortable with it. Like I, I've only done a f- couple auctions. I don't do a lot of them. Um, I know you do a lot of them. Like you love auctions. And I've heard you talk about it. We talked about it in the DM. That's why I, I wanted to have you on and chat about this just to kind of give – listeners an idea that as they're going into season or if they're thinking about doing auctions kind of some things to look at here so how do you approach an auction draft differently from a snake draft well first of all i think that uh for the people who who don't do auctions you should give it a try um i think that auctions are more american than drafts i mean you know uh let's say you want to pick mike trout first okay and if you're in a draft and you get the number 11th pick, are you going to get Mike Trout, Bubba? Are you, you going to get never, him? Never, never, ever. <laughs> no, no. Now, it's not as bad as football. In football, if you get the 11th pick instead of the first pick, you are in a really, really bad shape. Yes. Uh, it is so important to get there. Now, in baseball, it's not as important, but, you know, it could be. It's not fair. Now, here's another thing. Um I live in America and I don't want to be told that I need one first rounder and I need one second rounder and I need one third rounder and (laughs) one 15th rounder and one 24th rounder, one 25th round. I'm in America. Damn it. I want to get who the hell I want on my team. I want to get three first rounders and I want to get four 28th rounders, or I don't want to touch any first four rounders. I just want to get seven sixth rounders. Why can't I do that? I, I should be, I mean, in baseball, you know, uh, do the Yankees say we're just going to sign one good guy, one very good guy, one medium guy, one not so good guy? I mean, which nope. one is more which, which one is closer to reality of baseball? Auction. Yeah, an auction. Yeah. In, a, in an auction, if you want Mike Trout, you you can get Mike Trout. You can pay for him if 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 uh, if he's going for forty nine dollars and you want him, you pay fifty. 
Now, obviously, you have to do a cost-benefit, whether I should pay mega dollars for any player, but that's up to you. I'm not telling you what to do. Uh, and auctions take into account it just first of all, it's more fair. Now, here's the other thing about auctions that I like. Um, in, in a snake draft, let's say you're picking number one, okay? Um, after you make your first pick, you could pop out your pillow out of your bag. You can take a couple of sleeping pills and you can snooze for 20 minutes until it gets back to you. Right. <laughs> so true. Yep. Right. And you want to, to be honest with you, I, I hate that. I mean, uh, you know, and, and, and you know, it's worse than that. And tell me if you've had this bubble. Um, you go there and you have your queue and you're five picks away. And you're like, all right, I've got three guys in my queue. I'll get one of the three. And then boom, the guy's taken. Boom, that guy's taken. Boom, that guy's taken. And you're like, no. And then and, and then you're scrambling with a minute on the clock to pick your next guy. Do, do you enjoy that? No, it's pretty frantic because now you're now you're panicking with a minute and you're gonna make the wrong pick. Why, you know, why 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 should this be a game of panic and torture i mean if if i think that nick castellanos is a good value i can nominate him at any time i want i just use my ariel not nominate a pick i'll take nick castellanos i want him for ten dollars you can nominate anybody what you want have an order you know in in uh in a draft you're not going to take the worst player on your team first right but you could in an auction. You can take your bench first. You can take. I'll take my middle infielder. I'll take. I'll fill up these guys. Um, you can do any order you want, and there's nobody that passes in front of you without you knowing. As long as you've got money, and as long as you've got roster spots available, you can pick anybody you want at any time you want, and it's not a secret. Unless somebody puts a bag over your head, you can you can hear every single player. So. I don't see a reason. The only reason I've heard people don't like auctions is uh, it's long. Well, I mean, the truth is it's not that much longer. If you do a 15-team auction, it takes less than five hours. If you do a 15-team deep draft, it takes three and three-quarters hours. So Mm -hmm. it's like an extra hour. I mean, you know, you, you spent your whole draft prep prepping for this and now you can't spend one more hour. I mean, to me, it's all the fun to do it. So. I would I would strongly suggest if you haven't done it, you should try it. Plus, of course, there's a whole complexity of pricing players, the whole complexity mm-hmm. of order to nominate, the whole complexity of how do you balance. So it's just so much more involved. It's more real life. It's more free. It's more American. Okay, it's more American, and that's I, really I, what I love, what it's about. I love that that analogy. I'm in America. I I, I need to. It makes so much sense when you start spelling it out that way. I never even thought yeah, of it that way, but it's like. I get who I want, or I at least have the chance to get who I want. Where if I'm at a certain spot, I can, yeah. I'll never like, like, yeah. If you're not a top three player, you can kiss Trout, Yellick, and Acuna. But you're never getting them. Just live with it. Um, yeah. I think that's a great, that's a great way to to explain it there. And I do like auctions. Just somehow I just don't end up in many auction drafts. Maybe I'll have to change that this year because right. I, I did when when I am in the draft, I find it so much fun. They do last longer, but like you said, you do all the prep to do a draft. Drafting is usually the funnest part of the season to begin with. So why not make it last another hour? Yeah. That's the fun yeah. with it. So I'm with you. I mean, you know, Mike Trout, how often has Mike Trout been the number one player at the end of the season? Yeah. A like, lot of like times. once? Oh, yeah. But, Actually, but, he's usually like sixth or seventh. Yeah. Gotcha. Is right. Yeah. So you're taking a guy, a, a guy first as Trout, but you're taking him because he's most likely to finish high, but he actually won't be be producing the value. So if you're using a first pick, which is maybe worth, I don't know, $48 equivalent auction, you, you're going to end up with a guy who earns $30. You're losing $18 no matter what at the very start. I don't like that. I, I don't want to pay for Trout if, if, for, for, for that kind of price. If I think that Trout is going to be a $30 player, I don't want to use up my first pick for him, but you're forced to in, in a draft. I like playing the middle. I mean, when I, when I do hitting, very often, not always, but very often, I won't buy anybody over $30. And I, I've done auctions where um, you get my friends, and it's been 40 picks, and I haven't taken a single player yet. And they say, Ariel, are you going to participate? And I say, I sure am participating. And then I buy the next 20 picks in a row, and I end up winning the league by, by an astronomical amount. And they say, wait a minute, how'd you do that? Well, I did the math that the next 20 picks was worth more than Mike Trout and two other people. Do you that that method I've I've heard a lot. Do you like do you, more often than not 
Do you use that method where you let people go buy the big guys early and spend a lot of their money? And now these guys that on, on a normal playing field with a normal budget would have been maybe five to $10 higher. Now they're cheaper because no one else can compete with you. Do you prefer that when you like, is that kind of a strategy of yours when you go in or is it just kind of happen from time to time? You talking about strategy of, of not doing anything for a while. No, that, that's yes. not, it's, that's not, no, I, that's not a strategy. The strategy okay. is I pass on players. If I think their prices stink um, okay. very often, most of the people early on stink. I mean, on average, if you're a 15 team league in the first 30 picks, you're going to pass on 28 players on average. So, mm-hmm. I don't purposely pass on any players. I, I listen. In fact, I bid on every player. I mean, if I think a player is thirty dollars, I'll bid and bid. I won't bid to thirty. I'll bid to twenty-four. You know, I, I, I'll bid. I'll, I'll attempt to do it. Um, so I don't. I don't have that uh, strategy of passing on players and uh, you know waiting. Now, it's not to say that at the end of the dra- at the end of the auction, having an extra two dollars might help because then you have the hammer on the last player. Sure, that could be a strategy later on. But not to start your your auction. How do you go about when it's your turn to nominate? How do you go about deciding who you want to nominate? What kind of strategy or or, or theories do you use for that? All right, so so that that gets really really complicated. What I do, uh, in fact, uh, we're doing a presentation in uh, Florida at First Pitch Florida uh, with the Baseball HQ, and we're going to do a whole session on how do we actually nominate players. And I personally think that that nominating is really important part of of, of the process. Um, I know a lot of people. I know like Joe Pizapia, He was on my show last week, and you know his philosophy is very early. Just throw out every player who you can't stand that you'll never want your team. Waste every everybody's money. Um, but I think that you can do more with with the, the nominations. You can control you can control the economics. Um, let me give let me give you an example of, of uh, one issue I find. You know, let's say there's two players that you have uh, Joey Votto and Eric Hosmer, uh, and you have them both valued at ten dollars this year. Okay, and you do your research, and you think the market is valuing, let's say, Votto at five dollars and Hosmer at seven. All right, meaning Votto is a little bit better. You get a, you can get a five dollar bargain potentially. Hosmer at seven dollars. Well, if he's worth ten, then it's a, a three dollar bargain. So what happens is, let's say uh, Eric Hosmer comes up first for nomination. Okay, the bidding mm-hmm. goes. six, and you say seven. Well, yeah, you say seven, and that would give you the $3 bargain, exactly what you predicted, which is $3 sounds decent. But if you say the $7, it means you're passing up on possibly getting Joey Votto at a bigger bargain. You don't know what's going to happen next. You know, bargain Votto might not go. Votto might go for eight dollars and you say oh thank god i got hosmer or Votto might go for two dollars and you say crap i took hosmer i could have gotten Votto for a better deal so you don't want to get to that situation what you'd rather do is go to plan a throw out Votto before eric hosmer comes so now if Votto comes up for a five six dollars well now you know okay i can pass on him because i can probably get hosmer for a bargain or you say oh he's he's only worth four great I'll, I'll bid four ah now i got a better bargain on Votto. the fact that you the order that you nominate that you preceded Votto b- before hosmer allowed you to run your auction better that's just one way you can you can do it it's another there are other different ways uh, why i think uh, nominating uh, i have this thing called the economic box um let's say i don't know uh let's say you have let's say the top three consensus pitchers this year are uh cole DeGrum, and verlander is, is that about right yeah it's pretty yeah so, you, can, you can make okay. that argument for sure yeah okay okay um all i know is whoever the third person to be nominated that pitcher is going to go much higher than the rest that he should you know if verlander goes and verlander forty dollars and cole goes next and cole is for 42 if you thought the grum had an adp of of 42 dollars he's gonna go for 46 because if there's only three top pitchers and they're so much different than the next tier the supply in the room changes it went from three to two to one you've now cut the supply and if you're talking straight economics that just raises the price you have even you have an artificial pressure on the supply that raises the the price you don't want that if you want 
to Grum, right? If you think that you want to Grum, you want to Grum nominated first so that you have the least amount of artificial pressure pushing against him. You know, so there's there's economics to think about when you when you nominate. And uh, when, I, when I do drafts, uh, auction drafts with my partner Ruvain, throughout the draft, he's looking at what position or what statistic do we need to nominate because we think that we need to get an answer from first before any other economic pressures come in. And he spends most of his time just looking and I'm nominating, nominating the players, and I'm go, I'm you know doing the math and you know what do we need in stats, but he's going for the nomination. That's really, really, really key. Uh, and those were two examples of, of things, uh, reasons why that's so. Um, you, you, when you mentioned the economic box, so in theory, the way you grouped up the top three pitchers, then you, you talk about the next group below, so on and so forth. It kind of sounds like you're doing a tiered system. Um, would you would you have like a list of monetary goal, like gold tiers that you want to get a guy in that range, but you don't want one of the last ones, like you're no, saying. No, 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 no. Okay, okay. That's yeah, no, no, no. Well, well, I mean, you know, if if the if your values that you produce have forty two, forty one, forty, and the next couple of values thirty four, thirty three, thirty one, that that sort of creates a tier because there's a large jump in economic terms. You have a very big differentiating factor between yes. the two. I mean, the top three pitchers to me are indistinguishable. You can pick who you like better. I mean, I I've mm-hmm. seen different models pick different ones for who's actually ahead of the, the other, but they're all consistently top there, uh, and they're, it, make it, it makes it a much different commodity. So when I say economic box, if you if two of those pitchers are nominated, that one guy is in its own box somewhere all the way out in the distance, and it's in a shiny case. Like if you go to a ju- jewelry store, they put the really, really precious thing in its own box out in front, and oh, my God, look at this. Look at this sparkling thing. That effect will – get you to, to they will get that price raised of that item because it's its own shiny box right in front of you. That that's the way that I mean the box. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's why I just want to clarify that. Um yeah. when you said you and Ruven you're looking at the stats you need. You need all these different things. Um have you found yourself and I know you want to do the best value. I know you said you're not reaching for this or that. Have you found yourself maybe being more aggressive in certain stat categories? And I'm not saying like you're overpaying a lot, but you're making a point that we need to go for some of this high end. Like, do I want high end stolen base guys? Do I want high end power guys? Have you found that or is it more just a roster construction as a whole? I mean, in general, if you've done your pricing and you've set your prices correct, you should be indifferent to how you construct, you know, your roster. A, a, a guy who has a lot of stolen bases, you know, is worth X. And if as long as you price it correctly, it's fine. Now, do realize, of course, that there are certain commodities that that are uh, rarer. I mean, the stolen base guys are rarer. The closers are closers are an outfit where, um, you know, people. You need saves. You can't win the leagues without saves. It's a category, last I checked. Uh, but <laughs> if you actually pay the auction price what they're really worth, you're going to be overpaying. I mean, there's no closer that's worth $20, but if you go to an NFBC auction, you you might actually see the top closer, Josh Hader, let's say, will go for $20. Um, but that's okay because everybody's paying. You're paying for the, the save category. You know, you're budgeting $3 as that's, the, that's the, the, the additional premium I have to pay to get a closer. And then you just have to make sure that, you know, you get a good deal within the ranks. If you think Hater is a four dollar overpay, but you think um, Trinan is a, is a, you know two dollars, or Hendricks is one dollar overpay, you know, as long as you get the best overpay of the lot, you're fine. Now, when you're throwing out your bids, one thing that when I've done auctions that annoys me more than anything is when someone throws out like a one dollar bid for a thirty five dollar player. Now, when um, you throw out your bid, how? How many dollars off the number you think the player should go at? Like, what gap do you throw that number at? Like, if it's a twenty-five dollar player, do you go fifteen? Do you go ten? Where do you go in that range? Well, the the key number is where to end up at. The key mm-hmm. number where to start should be random. I don't if if I consistently gave fifty percent of what I think the value was, somebody would Maybe catch on way. to that yeah. and figure it out. I want to play poker. I'll occasionally mm-hmm. say one dollar. I'll actually throw. I like to play poker, so I throwing jokes i'll go dos uh uh uh, uh, high for 18 uh you know i'll I'll throw out random numbers occasionally i'll try to freeze the room if if, uh, now typically i don't do this but let's say i think a player is worth 20 dollars. occasionally i'll start at 19 you know just to freeze the room i I don't do that often 
I don't do that often. I'll usually start to, you know, for, uh, the first player of the game, Trout, I mean, you know, I'll start 20, you know. Uh, yeah. But the, the answer is you should not have a deliberate thing. You should appear random so that nobody knows what you're doing. And you should bid on players that you want and that you don't want and sometimes don't bid on players that you want and you don't want so that nobody knows what the heck you're doing. I remember so I, I did an NFBC and somebody comes over to me and he's like, Ariel, looks like you bid on every player that you like. Uh, and I and I and I'm, I'm smiling. Great, you guys have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, so the answer is play poker in that regard. I love the play poker analogy because it makes sense. You want to be throwing guys off. You don't want them to get your your tail. Like, oh, because then they know if you really like the guy, they can bid you up. And next thing you know, you, you out of nowhere, you're over the value you wanted to pay, anyways. So that makes a lot right. of sense. And I I love the ideas. Throw guys out there you don't want because. May, you never know. Like if all of a sudden he's a six dollar player, you throw him out for a dollar, and no one else wants him. That's still five dollars in value. Yeah. Like something's going to turn properly for your yeah. team. And so the other it, thing I do is uh, I I react after I get a, a player that that, that uh, maybe a high player or a player that I like. I'll go yes sometimes. Uh, and you know people say well, don't show emotion, but actually it's a psychological thing. If you say oh, yeah. yes, um, the next person is going to feel compelled. It's like tilt in poker. The next person yep. is going to feel compelled to oh, wait a minute. I got to make a good deal too, so they'll bid more. And you know on the next player, I may not want to get this next guy. And let them bring up the money. So the more ridiculous things you shout in there, it psychologically gets a thing. Um, you know, when, when I play chess in a in a serious tournament, I'll, I'll sometimes say, "Oh, I got checkmate," just to rattle the guy, uh, even though there's no <laughs> checkmate. Um, it, it works wonders. It gets everybody off their game. And when you're playing, this is fierce competition. You're yep. going to do everything. So I got the psychological things with the poker. I got the economic things to know what to do. I got my values. I come uber prepared to every auction. And I've, I mean, I've done this so many times that I don't have to think much. I, I know I know how to manage it. And uh, I also suggest to do it with a partner. Uh, first of all, it's fun. Uh, second of all, it is so much easier to manage, to know, to see things, to spot things. To, there's so much to keep track of at an auction get a partner your very first time do an nfbc auction and bring a partner why not um with all these reactions that you're having and everything i'm assuming you you don't do many online auctions um i i have done them um sure i, I mean I, i've done them i prefer the live ones they're so much mm-hmm. better they're so much more fun but i have done them and i have won uh, many of them uh, i tend to if i if i do play online i tend to try to do auction where possible because all the other things that i mentioned uh in economics and everything obviously work um but yeah it is what it is i played drafts also it's not that i don't I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I prefer the auction better because I can add all the knowledge that I know about the auction on top of the baseball knowledge, and that gets me ahead. You can you can wait. You can not know anything, and somebody just hand you a sheet. Here's ATC projections. Here's a sheet, and you can win the league not knowing anything, just knowing the dollar amounts and knowing how to play an auction. So it's a big advantage. Um, since you are an experienced auction player, you mentioned having a partner or just doing a bunch of different strategies to it. How how many, let's say, drafts did it take for you to feel comfortable going in there and being like, I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm not going to get frazzled. Like, I'm good to go. Um, well, The first time I did the NFBC, which was after I've done a lot of these auctions in home leagues, I wasn't frazzled one bit. Um, I was never frazzled, but you know, it took me probably one time to learn. You know, The first time I did an auction, I made a bunch of mistakes. Uh, and I saw it right away. Uh, so I'd say the answer to, for, for me personally was one. When you're using your money, let's just say it's a, I know it's usually 260 Let's just use $100 to keep it simple. Do you go, like I've heard different people when I've, you know, I've read the, the books on fantasy baseball and listen to guys, do you go like 70, 30 hitters? Do you have a, do you have a goal in place when you enter the room and you want to try to stick to that goal? That's a great question. I've gotten that question so many times. Um, if you actually run the Z-score method, the Z-score method will automatically give you some percentage that is somewhere between 63% and 70% in general. So close to two-thirds, one-thirds. But the actual and, – and, and I'll usually set it to that or so, uh, or at least that's my initial starting point. The truth of the matter is you should really be setting it equal to whatever the league is doing. 
if the league is doing 65-35, you should be doing that. If the league is doing 80-20, you should be doing 80-20. And the reason is that if, if, if you have too much money in your auction values in hitting and not enough in pitching, you're gonna, it's gonna appear that all of the hitters are gonna be bargains for you and all the pitchers are gonna be overpriced. And vice versa. If you set the pitching and hitting targets the same to what the league average is, then you'll have a balance. You'll have some players over, some place under in pitchers, some place over, some place under in hitters. The one addendum to that, though, is if you personally are better at picking pitchers, then maybe skew it another percent and a half or so towards towards the hitting. Because, you know, maybe, well, I'm good at pitchers, so I'm okay with 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 you know really squeezing the value some and i'll need a little bit more leeway to pick a hitter and vice versa so again set it to what your league is and then if you have a better tendency what you're good at you can skew it a little bit the other way okay i like that it makes a lot of sense for sure a couple more yeah. questions here um you hear about stars and scrubs or you hear about balanced i know like you said you don't usually spend over say $20 on hitters for the most part uh, which a 30, a little, uh, 20 30. Would be a little ridiculous yeah yeah. So do you prefer the balanced roster more often than not, or have you gone in going stars and scrubs works for me too? So I would, I would never go into it unless I surveyed the, the uh, playing field. Um, you know, when you do your values versus ADP, you can see where the values are and build it that way. When I do football auctions, which by the way, I recommend that everybody does football auctions too. It's a lot it more fair. makes way more sense on NFL, yeah. like you said. Yeah, yeah. and I, I do exclusively football auctions now. The budget's $200. I found that in football auctions, people don't pay enough for the top players. I'm drafting the uh, Alvin Kamara's uh, at the top. The state, uh, Well, I, I personally didn't didn't uh, say Quan Barkley, but I, I'm getting the top guys at the top because I think he's you know worth eighty dollars and he's only going for seventy in the auction. Um, whereas in baseball, I find that in hitters, I don't get the top players. You probably won't see me getting a top fifteen hitter. I'll be doing middle middle for pitching though. I tend to buy an ace. I think usually the aces are priced pretty fairly, uh, and I'll grab one ace and then I'll go more in the bottom uh, for closers. It really varies by the year. Sometimes I find myself taking the top closer. Sometimes I say, yuck, I'm going to just play the bottom. It varies year to year, especially for closers. Uh, before we get to the listener question that we have, any final thoughts? Because what you've, you've given a, a tutorial on auctions. It's been like, I'm going to have to go back and take notes again <laughs> on what you went through. It's, it's been awesome. Do you have any Thank final you. thoughts for uh, for people on this? Because I really want to get more into auctions. I know many others do. I've seen people ask it all the time. It's one I when I when I hit you up on the DMs like a month ago, I said, Let me know when your projections come out. I want to talk to you about that and we need to talk auctions. So any yeah. final thoughts on this? I mean, I, I again I, I recommend that I'm not saying go go dive in the deep end and tr- change all your things, but if you try one, you'd be surprised. You might actually say, Man, what the heck was I missing? Uh, and you might actually like it. And if you do it with your friends, you know, get get a guy, get an auctioneer, get a guy, mm-hmm. buy a guy a gavel. I'm telling you, it's so much it's so much fun when you do it. The fighting that goes on, your gavel is down. He's not gavel. I mean, <laughs> it, it's so much fun. Uh, do it. And again, you know, uh, auction values. Uh, convert everything from rankings to dollars. I can't stress that enough. Even if you're drafting, uh, even if you're just doing snake drafts. It, I can't stress that enough. It's so important. Uh, but but have fun with this. You know, again, it's all about the fun. Um, now, I, I told a lot of very specific economics and very true things, but I, the truth is you have fun doing it. And just, you know, take a couple of the tips and tricks that I told you and have fun, and you'll find that you'll actually do better. And And doing better, of course, is also sometimes good. Yes, definitely. It's a very good thing to do. A listener question this week is from a buddy Heath Caps at Heath Caps on Twitter. And this is kind of like, he's a sarcastic person, as you can tell. Um, uh-huh. How much fun is it to nominate crappy players you don't want and watch other people bid on them? This is a rhetorical question. You kind of hit on it, but how do you like that? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we did talk about it. Um, it. You know, I mentioned that you should always nominate guys you need information from. But yeah, the truth is that sometimes, you know, if, if, if I in the first in the first pick of the draft, I have bought um, uh, Mookie Betts. There's no way that I'm going to be buying Mike Trout. That's just too much money. You go ahead and you nominate Mike Trout. 
You're not going to buy him. Um, you don't want to be so far behind in money with everybody else. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really laugh at people overbidding on anything. I just, you know, I'm, I smile if, if they do, and I, I, I smile if, if, I, if I expect them to. But, um, you know, I, I play the game. I, I, don't, I, don't really, uh, yeah, I don't really think about that too much. No, that makes total sense. Um, that'll wrap us up, though, Ariel. It's like I said, this has been absolutely awesome. The ATC projections, the auction strategy, all that good stuff. Before we leave, why don't you remind everybody where they can find you, what kind of work you got going on, because you're you're scattered around a lot of cool places. Yeah, no, thanks. Uh, well, you can reach me uh, on Twitter, if you like, at ATCNY. That is probably the shortest Twitter name that you can <laughs> actually get. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't believe I found that one. But ATCNY, uh, the ATC projections, you can find them on CBS Sportsline, and you can find them on Fangraphs, and they're embedded in all the things uh, on, on the Fangraphs site. Uh, I write uh, at Fangraphs regularly, so you can check me out there. I'm going to be writing uh, as we get closer to the season uh, over at Sportsline. Uh, I might have a couple of other exciting places that I might be writing at, which uh, you might hear for, about that soon. So stay tuned for that. Uh, and you can listen to my show. Uh, definitely, you know, on our show, what we do very differently than everybody else is, you know, I don't go through, here are the 10, and, and, I, and I, you know, not saying that this is a bad thing to do. I think it's great. I listen to so many podcasts, um, top 10 second baseman. Here's the top 10 shortstops. Um, you know, I, I get that elsewhere. I wanted to do something on my show that we don't get elsewhere, and we concentrate on a strategy. So like we talked about the auction strategy, we'll talk about how to manage the waiver wire. We'll talk about how to pick up players, how to know when to drop players. We'll talk about every part of the strategy. Every single episode starts with the strategy section. Uh, and the other thing we do on our show is uh, in, in the preseason, we go over ATC projections, but I'll only look at players who I think could be overvalued. Like I mentioned, Brian Anderson well, last week, we you know, I brought him up. I say um, he appears to be a value by ATC. Go around the room and uh, do we actually buy it? And we'll do a deep dive on all the players who could be a, a bargain according to ATC. And that, to me, is a big help in you prepping because that will give you some good names uh, in the middle, some sleeper names at the bottom. Uh, so check it out. It's the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational, Beat the Shift podcast, the TGFBI. So just on app, it's on every aggregator. Just look up Great Fantasy Baseball. It's the big ball with the crown. Uh, and check that out. Yeah, I recommend checking out great podcasts that they do over there. Ariel does great work, as you can tell by as awesome as the analysis was on this. He writes some really awesome articles as well. So go check out all Check all that out. And Ariel, thanks for joining me again. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks so much, Bubba, for having me. Definitely. Everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 240 with Ariel Cohen talking auction strategies, ATC projections, and much more. Catch you all later. Mm-hmm.